Welcome to Maker Mom, a podcast where I explore the stories of Maker Moms and the life they lead. Each week, I will bring you the behind the scenes story of a new Maker Mom. I'm Katie Freeman, a furniture designer and content creator running FreemanFurnishings.com and your host of the Maker Mom podcast. You can find Maker Moms hanging out in the Facebook community at Maker Moms and on the web at MakerMomPodcast.com. If you love what you hear, please subscribe, leave a stellar review, and share this out with other Maker Moms you know. Welcome to episode 30 of the Maker Mom podcast. Today's guest is my first duo team, and that is Sarah and Rachel from Sticks Inc. in Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, this was also my first live and in person interview that I did, and a bit of a, um, well, quite a bit of an honor for me because I've looked up to. Sarah and Rachel and Sticks for quite some time as far as how they've taken taken a um, what started as kind of a unique one-of-a-kind artisan type of uh, company uh, you know mainly with Sarah making everything and turned it into um, a full company with you know 50 employees and multiple artists employed um, all making something very similar so I was quite honored to be able to have an opportunity to go in and talk with both of them about sticks, um, about being a woman entrepreneur, and about being a mom. So I think you'll really enjoy this interview as much as I did uh, talking with both of them. Uh, But before I let you get to it, I want to say and give a shout out to Sherry of Hazel and Gold Designs. She is a new patron over on Patreon for Maker Mom Podcast. So welcome Sherry and thank you and I look forward to getting to know more about you um, and hope to have you join in on our monthly uh, conversations, online meetups that we have. And if you would like your own uh, shout out at the start of an episode, and would like to join in on the conversation on our monthly online meetups, head over to Patreon, uh, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Maker Mom Podcast and learn how you can join up and uh, also maybe get yourself some Maker Mom Podcast swag. All right, with no further ado, here is Sarah and Rachel with Sticks. All right, so just to get started, uh, for the people who are listening to the podcast, can each of you give a little bit of an introduction of yourselves? Um, well, let's see. Sarah Grant, artist, always been an artist through my training with my uh, BFA in Intaglio printmaking, my MA in Intaglio printmaking and drawing, and my MFA in painting. Um, I grew up in Ames, Iowa, uh, very involved in theater and writing and making art, graduated from high school and off I went to undergraduate school in art and what I think I took with me from growing up in a university community was a desire to know and see and understand all sorts of disciplines. And I think that might be why I arrived at becoming 
an art major and ultimately an artist because there's just so many ideas and experiences and world visual stuff that you can examine to make what you make. So um, along the line, I, after graduating with my MFA, uh, moved to Des Moines, spent quite a bit of time working as a waitress in three or four different establishments, sometimes all in one day, so I didn't know which direction I was going or sometimes showed up at the wrong restaurant. All the while I was doing that, continuing my painting career, which um, has gone on since I graduated in 1980. Paintings, very abstract, not sticks at all, uh, that are sold in galleries and are hanging in museums and corporate collections. That's a whole separate side of what I do. And through that, um, er, those early years from 80 to 90, I taught at Iowa State in the College of Art and Design, which is a much more applied environment. I've always had interest in architecture and uh, design, uh, American craft, along with this abstract expressionist thing that I do as a painter. After 10 years of teaching at Iowa State, I had tripped over this business called Sticks. Um, friend who worked at Meredith Better Homes and Gardens book division knew that, um, you know, I always like to make a dime. And she called and said, while I was teaching at Iowa State, would you make a wooden nativity for a woodworker magazine? We'll, we'll buy the design, which means I didn't get to keep it. Um, I said, oh, I don't do tchotchkes. And she said, well, I, really? I have $500 for you. And I said, I'll do it. <laughs> so designed the first nativity and um, sold it to Meredith. And of course, thanks, as my mother says, to her and God, she saw the rejected designs, God and Jesus actually, because it's the nativity. Um, she saw the rejected designs in my studio in downtown Des Moines. And it was an old building actually over a wig shop. It, you know, what we did was we looked for studios in the city so that we could have that arty vibe. Anyway, she saw um, the nativity designs and asked if I would make one for her, and the next thing I knew, no, the thing had snowballed. Um, friends had to have them. I was doing art in the park in Des Moines. Um, and after about, well, I guess we incorporated in 92, so somewhere over a five-year period of time, I had had enough of the carny life, driving all over the place, because now I had three little girls. Um, I just had, had enough of it, and that was when I stopped doing art fairs and decided to become a wholesaler of American craft, which is the sticks part of what I do. I understood the wholesale side of this because um, as a painter, when you take a painting to the gallery that represents you, you give up 50% of whatever the sale price is because their responsibility is the marketing and the, the exposure, the actual closing of the sale, the framing, all of that. 
And I really liked the leisure of not having to worry about that side of it. However, in sticks, um, I couldn't do it commissioned or I would never have been able to bankroll the thing. So I learned what real wholesale is, which is you sell it to other people who sell it. So all your responsibility is the making of it, which was quite freeing. However, I found out quickly that um, my forte was not in the other side of it, which is the business side. So I got smart and started hiring um, people who could do things I can't do, which I won't go on and on because Rachel needs a turn, my lovely daughter. Um, what do you? Oh, I don't need a turn. You done all. She needs. She needs a turn because she is the epitome of what an artist needs in terms of running their business and the things that she does and has done since. When did you start here? Sixteen years ago. 16 years of change that um, have been phenomenal and have been very, very good for me as the creator. There were other people before her, what, 17 years ago, but we're here to talk about what Rachel has done with a company that was started by a mom that makes things. And so tell us, tell us what you know about sticks and how you got here. <laughs> Well, I don't think how I got here is that interesting of a story, but I, I certainly think that when you talk about bringing together a business from the infancy stage that's based on the creative process, what you get is um, some chaos and you get um, endless horizons of possibilities. And all of that was what allowed the brand to become so unique and cool and visual and branded and, and what it is. but. From a business perspective, when you're trying to track things like costs and efficiencies and put together marketing pieces that are cohesive and then throw in you know, the advent of, of the internet and selling online and all of those things, the, the infinite possibilities of what the brand was in, the, in its beginning days became very difficult to take to market and to to explain to an end customer without having wild variables. Um, and so, I, you know, it was probably more like, you know, 10 to 12 years ago, we kind of looked at the thing and said, um, we have a look, we have a brand, we have a niche, we have a customer base. We need to put this thing together in a package that has um, uh, possibilities down the road. And that didn't mean stifling the creative growth of our designers and our artists, but it meant bundling what Sticks was as its own alive entity versus a bunch of people with a bunch of different freedom kind of going off in tangents. If, if that makes sense. Does that make sense, Sarah? Absolutely. Um, because we needed to be able to have controls. And well, and to, to, her, to her point about controls, the only control I ever had when this started was that there were anywhere upwards between 50 and 150 people coming and going, employee base, We're, we have 50 now, but I believed, having been trained as an artist, that if an artist was gonna work here, they didn't want anybody telling them what to do or keeping them within parameters, mm -hmm. other than to say it needs to look like sticks. 
So then Rachel comes along with her team of younger people who are not trained in art, and they, while they like my philosophy, are going, mother, <laughs> we can't sustain this. Well, I think, so. a, I think a good <laughs> example of kind of where we saw a, a lot of these variables was, um, you know, in a simple piece like a wall mirror. It's a piece that's been a sticks piece in um, some form or fashion since the very beginning days. And we would have it a shape and a part number and a dimension and a size, and we'd take it to market and galleries would buy it, and that was great. But it was, you know, $200 wholesale every time, for example. And we would come back here and we would build it, and two different people would build it, and one would take 10 minutes and one would take four hours and 10 minutes. And the same would happen in drawing, and the variables would be the same in, in, in our wood-burning step. And, and in painting, you would have one artist who had a palette that they really liked, and they whipped it out really fast. And you had another artist who thought that they were the next, you know, Michelangelo, and it was taking two days to paint this thing. So you take these two pieces to the marketplace, you have controls that are out of your realm of possibility. On one, you're making a great margin. On one, you're tanking. And so, um, you know, looking at the line and kind of getting our team together was not an overnight process. We didn't sit down and say, it's got to happen like this, like this, like this. It looked... It started by us looking at who our strong team players were, who were our producers, who were the people that had helped brand the style, and then how did we empower them as either managers or team leads or part of the marketing and creative process to take that knowledge and kind of um, bring everyone along in the fold with them. And so um, when we were talking before we started taping, um, I mentioned the fact that, you know, this is our 27th year in business and that our average employee has been here for about 17 years. That's a perfect example of where the people in those early days that had that creative freedom and expression helped hone the look, but then decided that it was really a cool idea to become part of the fold and take the brand and make it what it is today, which is a cohesive, visual, mm -hmm. um, branded example of American craft. So well, just, just a, so it sounds like Rachel, did, I mean, did you go to school then and get, like, business degree or... Um... In, yeah, I, that's, I had a lot of marketing background. My, my background was actually in political science. How I ended up here was um, through a comedy of errors, but more in the marketing and communication side of, of that. Um, you know, I think, like, a lot of people that, that come out of, you know, an undergrad degree not knowing what they want to do, I found out within a year or two that I loved selling things. Never thought I would. Um, it was it was just something that I, I thought I was good at, but I but I also on the side had a passion for this business and product because, like Sarah said, you know this was our childhood. This mm -hmm. was what we were around. We knew that this was what paid for you know our soccer cleats, and this is what paid for you know a pizza party on Friday. Whatever it was, right. we knew that this was um, part of the wheel that kept our family moving. So it was personal. Um, which I think really helped my ability to sell it, to talk about it, to market it, and to grow into the role that I'm in now. Um, certainly, I have to tell the story of how you got here because <laughs> it's pretty funny. <laughs> I made it clear to all of them, if anybody was coming back to work in this company in any capacity, you had to go do something else first. So Rachel gets herself a job that's 30 miles up the road in Ames with... Uh, um, I, I, what they market it was like a marketing company. a marketing company for politic political people, mm -hmm. and 
soon found out that what she was being paid in salary to live in Des Moines and drive back and forth at all hours of the day and night, she was going broke. So after a couple years there, I think, unbeknownst to me, because this was in the rock and rolling days of sticks with piles of product everywhere, I never came upstairs. I was hunkered down on the floor drawing 24-7. She sneaks in and talks to the HR manager and introduces herself as Rachel Hutchison. My name is Sarah Grant. He has no clue who she is because he's only been here a few weeks. She says she wants to work at Sticks and take over the job of running the events. So oh, she gets the job and I said to the HR manager, we hired somebody for the running the events, because we rent this place out at nights and weekends. He goes, oh yeah, this great gal named Rachel Hutchison. I'm like, what? <laughs> you just hired my daughter? <laughs> so anyway, that's how she got here. And then you can tell her how you ran from running events to what you're doing now, which is basically the CEO of the company. Well, it took quite a long time. <laughs> you know, it wasn't, I, the first thing off the bat wasn't necessarily full-time, and then something opened up in marketing, and so that transition happened. Something opened up in sales, and I found myself doing sales for, gosh, at least seven or eight years. Um, Mom and I opened our first gallery together, and then subsequent stores after that. We learned how to become proficient retailers. I had moments in, in those. So, I, I, you know, with, with any small business, and, and I learned this watching my mom, there's not a task in the building that I haven't really done. I, I will say I haven't ever put a piece of lumber through a, a bandsaw. Um, and you don't want me to do that, but you know, I, I, I'll help you out. Thanks. <laughs> I, you know, I've pushed a broom before we've had an open house. Mm -hmm. I've, you know, cleaned out the fridge when somebody left their lunch from the way. Yeah. All of those little things. I've wheeled pallets to the shipping dock. And in the very early years doing that and doing it with a sense of, of um, being humble, I think is what kind of allowed me to take our team of people and, and have them um, accept that this was the transition of the, of the business. And that's, that's really hard. One thing I always tell people when I know that they're going into a role or taking over a department or, or inheriting a staff that was someone else's is letting them know that that is probably one of the most difficult things of a business and of management. Um, but the only way that you can make that work is if you come in and, and are not afraid to get your feet wet and let them see it. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. So one I'm, of the things I always like to say if I'm giving a talk about being an artist in a production business, which is not to say that as a singular person, as a painter, I don't think about these things because efficiency is huge yeah. and uh, your overhead costs and keeping track of everything is imperative to making money as a creator. One of the hardest things in the growth of the employees in this business was to find the ones who think like I do, which is that coming up with a creative notion, whether it's the, let's do the state flag series or whatever it is, that same creativity is imperative in employees in, in a production business 
because they need to understand that everything on that business side and the the efficiency side and the making making of money and understanding what your profits are it requires a creative brain to do that too mm -hmm. and in the early days you know we still lived kind of in a ooh art artists are all kind of easy peasy hippie typey <laughs> people a lot of employees who were very good at making things, just couldn't stomach that notion and didn't stay. Mm -hmm. They left. They went off and did another job somewhere. I don't know what. But the ones who loved the idea that everything on wheels from the shop to the back door, those production systems, the, in, the innovation of putting in a computer scanner to track everybody and their hours and our materials and then to get so stoked when the sales team is off and running at market or you know the financials come back with a profit the people who love that as much as coming up with the next designs are the people who are still here and mm -hmm. the ones that in this business I struggled a long time to separate the wheat from the chaff is that how you say it and I am very proud to say that Rachel and some of our other 18 people who manage this place um, are even better at it than I was, at finding those people and nurturing them and figuring out how they can contribute to an even better company. So, And I find all of this uh, fascinating because my background is... Um, and manufacturing technology, mm -hmm. and so I and, and I still do work part time in quality assurance with manufacturers. So I have lean manufacturing and all of that in my background, and so I see that even just being a sole producer of stuff, of constantly like, okay, if I'm going to reproduce this again, mm -hmm. what thing, what, how do I reduce my time? How do I reduce my costs? So well, you're very lucky to have that background. My dad used to say, "Good grief." Could you have stopped at the MBA, or I mean the, the BFA, gotten an MBA, and then gotten a degree in production engineering? And looking back, I totally wish I had, mm -hmm. because that side of the business jazzes me up. But unlike you and Rachel, I didn't learn it except by the seat of my pants. And so there's many, many more mistakes that were made by me than are ever being made by this person and the rest of her team. Right. Because I just didn't have that background. But did you, so I, I am a bit curious. Um, okay, so you got, you were getting kind of into the art scene. It's not late 70s, early 80s. So I'm assuming then it was still this notion of kind of like the starving artist. Oh, yeah, I never bought into that. <laughs> never bought into that. <laughs> no, my theory was, you know, if you're going to do this, why would, why would you do anything if you're going to starve? If it doesn't work out, go get your degree in nursing or something and get a job and walk in every day at 8 o'clock and walk out at 5 and be sure you can put food on your table. I never accepted the, oh my gosh, I'm never going to make it. Well, and Katie, I think that that's really important to point out with um, the team that make up our business. Um, between our producing artists, our drawers, our painters, our wood burners, but also our office staff, our marketing people, our graphic design, our retail team who are on the front line selling our product in our local gallery. Um, I would say a very high percentage of our Sticks employees are artists producing artists outside of 
this building. They're here for an eight-hour shift five days a week, which is able to provide health care benefits and mm -hmm. paid time off and job reassurance and all of those great things to keep that income coming and going. But what these people produce outside of here is really incredible stuff and, and a million miles away from what they do here all day long. And I think that's really important to point out because we get calls and emails all the time. Oh, I'd love to come and, and paint at your studio someday. I love your stuff. Can I, can I come through on my road trip? And it's very difficult for me to not go absolutely bananas on these people because what I want to say to them is to walk into a performing arts studio like this, we are talking about people with a minimal four-year degrees in art if not fine and advanced degrees. The reason why they're able to create a consistent product that's branded by us is because <laughs> there was a very formal training that went into it. You know, I'd love to, you know, be a CPA, but it's not something I would ever just dabble my toe in. For God's <laughs> sake, there's people that went to very expensive college programs to figure out how to do that. Um, so when you talk about that starving artist concept, I don't even pay it mind because I know that the artists that are here are passionate inside and out and it's the most fun thing is to see you know people's posts about their openings that are coming up and the shows that they've gotten into and um and to be able to celebrate that well and the other cool thing about the fact that so many people working here have their own thing going on besides this like i do is that that whatever they make like me making my paintings brings a huge contribution that's very subtle and only we in the in the building can see the influences that someone down there has on our product over time because of what they make mm -hmm. and how they think and how they see the world as an artist. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing that I think is really special about sticks is that and I mean, there are art businesses where someone comes up with a mug and they make it 900 times. That is not what we do here. Each piece and each design has a shelf life and then it evolves into something else. And that, I think, comes from the fact that my training is in fine arts, where you don't make more than one thing once <laughs> and in the minds of most of the people who work here when i started sticks i um knew after i'd about worn my hands out doing all this by myself and then rushing over to box it up and ship it and pay bills and whatever put money in the bank and forget not forget to put money in the bank and bounce all this was going on i went to a crew of artists that I knew from my studio downtown and asked if they would like to be part of a cooperative where they could contribute to these designs and I wouldn't. It wouldn't be my name and it would be us. Mm -hmm. And the response was, no thanks, I'm too busy making my own work. Um, when this thing began to grow, I really began to understand the art community at large to answer your starving artist mm -hmm. question. I was not starving artist at all. It was very successful. And there were a lot of people, both artists and non-artists and art entities, who felt that I had sold out. And it was devastating to me. Um, 
So what shored me up were these fabulous artists who wanted to come in here and did not think I was a sellout because I had given up just being a fine arts painter. I had somehow fallen into this world of manufacturing, which this is a manufacturing facility. We make things, they go from A to Z. And never mind that we make them by hand, one at a time, that didn't matter to people. It was, oh my gosh, you became a man, you became a factory. How can that be considered art? That was a huge struggle for me and a very emotional and sad struggle. But I had three little girls, I had all these employees, and at some point I just had to put the blinders on and say, I gotta let this go. I gotta let this go. And I think the, uh-oh, okay. I meant to turn that off. I'm sorry. Um, I think one of the things that, I think the main thing that helped me with understanding that this is art that is being made in a factory environment is that I had my own paintings in my own singular person factory environment. It's exactly the same thing. Right, right. And on top of that, I'm a really, really good painter and I sell paintings, a lot of them. And I'm well respected at that. So I was able to just say, you know, this is, this is, my, this, is this part of me and this is this part of me and I'm not gonna listen to the noise. And I think that's, um, that's a message that a lot of, uh, especially women artists coming up right now, uh, need to hear because there's a lot of noise when you're on social media, especially. A lot of comparison of like, well, you know, this person's making it big, just selling their own art. This person's, you know, having to go in this direction and how do you know where you fit in the white? In the whites. Well, yeah. cut the noise out. Don't pay any attention to it. Mm -hmm. And seek help from others to sell yourself. That's where, that's where the marketing thing is so important. And thankfully for me, I had no interest ever in selling <laughs> myself. Because if I had, and we're certainly now in this day and age, I'd be going bonkers with people talking on media that is normal for you young kids. Mm -hmm. I couldn't put up with it. That's why I've always had the wall of someone else selling and marketing. So when you first did like that first uh, nativity set, were you, so when you first were going, were you doing like all the woodworking aspect too? No, I, um, in the very beginning, I knew I wasn't gonna cut my fingers off. That just was <laughs> not gonna happen because then there wouldn't be a career. Right. So I first out, I found like retired guys, my dad, another <laughs> retired guy, in Des Moines and hey would you cut some nativities for me here's the patterns and then I would receive those I sanded them because mm -hmm. I couldn't afford to pay them to sand them sanded them and then I would wood burned them freehand I didn't even use a pencil and then I ran over to another table and quick painted them and then I sprayed some stuff on them I don't even remember what it was but it was probably not appropriate <laughs> and then I put them in a box and shipped them to somebody or put them in the back of my truck car and went to an art fair. And then finally realized that that was insanity. 
and um, really I wouldn't say I was ever the best wood burner on the earth because that's just too technical for me. We now have artisan people who are phenomenal mm -hmm. with it. And certainly painting, I am paint fast, I'm an abstract painter, our client base and our customer base, what they wanted, they didn't want that loosey-goosey anymore. I mean, Rachel can tell you how many fluctuations have we seen in the world of, of um, what is popular at any given moment in art, color, well, I, texture, all know, those I, things. I think that, that's, that, that that definitely is true, but as a brand, I would say it's been about the last 10 years where we've really gotten away from that fluctuation because what happened was that our product got out in the world and people saw it and a brand began to evolve. Mm -hmm. And so we would do these shows and markets and we would come up with something new. And we would think it was so great because it was something fresh and different and just deviated from that branded sticks look. And we would take it to market and it would be a flop. Or we'd have a couple of accounts that would buy it and they'd call us six months later and say, this is junk, nobody wants this. Well, we couldn't figure it out because we knew it wasn't junk. But what we finally came to was that we had evolved to a place where when people were going to buy our product, they wanted something that was visually our product, that checked all the boxes. It had, um, very saturated use of color. It had 100% the combination of imagery and words. Whenever I see a prototype come off the floor these days without words, I just look at people, I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Send it back. <laughs> I can't sell it. And, and, and that, that came from a lot of trial and error. So, you know, I, I kind of look at, at there being two periods to sticks, the evolutionary period, and then kind of the peak where we found that we had to hone the combination of what we'd seen work and sell and heard from our customers and who we had become, which maybe wasn't what Sarah's initial vision was. In fact, I know it wasn't. Um, so what well, here's why it wasn't my initial vision. Because the first time I started selling to wholesale American craft galleries, all they wanted was one-of-a-kind stuff. They did not want consistency. Because my generation thinks differently than the world has evolved. Um, if you buy something on Etsy or wherever mm -hmm. people sell online and you are the one person who missed the buy, you're going to watch for the exact same thing to come up. Well, let me tell you, in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and even into the 90s, the people who sold American craft, they didn't want to have six mirrors on the wall. But we're all gonna say the same right. thing. They did not want that. And then suddenly, economy changed, the state of affairs with design changed, pottery barns came into the world, and the next generation of buyers wanted to be secure in what they were getting. So then it was up to Rachel's generation to say, we, got, we gotta go with this trend, how are we gonna do it and remain unique? And I think that's where you were going. Yes. Well, interestingly enough, I kind of disagree. Oh, you do. We never disagree. Go ahead. <laughs> well, and, and I disagree with it in that because there are pottery barns and because there are all you know all of that whole West Elm, all of that Bed Bath and Beyond or whatever, um, because that's so homogenized, I think that's what helped us identify a brand. I I would agree with that because I think. 
um, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say we're probably a very similar generation, yeah. myself and Rachel, yeah. um, and say that especially now, one of a kind is like, that's it. Yes. I want the one of a kind. Yes. Uh, because even if you can't afford the one of a kind price, you want the one of a kind because that makes you feel special. That makes yeah. you feel like you've gotten something, you know, yeah. that's just so cool. Well, let me explain why in our industry, which is we're selling wholesale to galleries, in my painting business as an individual, I am selling commission mm -hmm. to galleries. Right. So I can take all the risk in the world if I want to, mm -hmm. and so can they, because nobody's exchanging right. cash. Right. In the American craft world, the buyer pays for some funky, weird, Medusa sculpture that nobody wants because it was it's, it's too much money mm -hmm. or it's too far out there or whatever, and then this gallery is stuck with it. Now, in the early days of sticks, if you were a smart buyer, you bought that Medusa, because now you've got something of incredible value. But as the economy changed, and the world of selling art for homes mm -hmm. and museums and whatever changed, we found that we could make fewer and fewer and fewer of those pieces. And so that was my point. Not that, not that we right, are an still, we are an alternative to the market, but there's a point at which. But you're still sticking to a brand, I think. Is what yes. You're, so you're sticking to that. Yeah, yeah, and if you have a customer who's, I mean, you know, if they're willing to buy a handmade dining table, um, and they're in a certain price range, and, and this this maybe is more indicative of, of our culture these days. If they're going to buy a sticks piece, they want their friends to walk in and be able to visually see that it's a sticks piece. Right. And that was that was something that took us a while to. I just turned this off. It took them a while to 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 um, for us to understand that on the on the production right. floor. And I think that the, another point that I, that I could kind of direct the conversation in another direction is when you talk about again the price of handmade. I, I make a point of being in our gallery couple hours a week because I want to see in here and, and our gallery here in Des Moines really fu functions as um, kind of our, our test kitchen mm -hmm. if you will we put stuff in there and we see how people react to it and that's really fun um, but occasionally I'll be in there and someone will walk up to one of our dining tables the dining tables are uh, one of our uh, are our number one selling furniture piece and uh, I love a 16-inch round dining table with sticks chairs around it. It's a beautiful combination. And this is a set that in a retail gallery like ours would retail for um, anywhere from you know four to eight thousand dollars, depending on the upgrades and what goes mm -hmm. on it and everything else. And people walk in, oh my gosh, some people, this is so expensive. Who buys this? Who would ever pay for this? And what shocks me is that if you walked into a homemaker's or an Ethan Allen, um, or a West Elm, for example, our prices are not in any form or fashion out of line with what is out there in the marketplace. Now, you can buy a 60-inch round dining table with six chairs around it for not very much at all, but I've personally spent enough hours of my life assembling IKEA that <laughs> if I'm outside of that price range, I would never subject myself to that again. It has, <laughs> it has a form and a purpose, right. but it's not quality. It's not going to last. And, and so for some reason, there is a market 
perception, and maybe it's just about things made in America versus things not, but I certainly think when you talk about artisan and quality, um, people have a willingness to pay for things depending on where they're located, <laughs> and they have, a, they have a discrepancy of paying for things based on what their perception is of what it is. When I hear people come in North Star and say, I could make this, I, I want to like walk them right out the front door because no, you couldn't. And I know you couldn't because I troll the internet every now and again to find our knockoffs and send them nasty grams. And sometimes I'm embarrassed to even send them the nasty grams because their attempt at our knockoff is so bad. Right. <laughs> We've been doing this for 27 years. There is a secret sauce to it and you don't have that, that recipe. So move on. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm just, I'm... I'm the same way of, you know, if I'm at like an art show or a pop-up or and somebody walks by and sees it and says, well, I could make that for less. Have at it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Know? Good luck. Good luck. Tell me, tell me if you figure it out. <laughs> yes. Really put some dollars in my margin profit. <laughs> exactly. Well, I think the other interesting thing about the survival of sticks is that throughout my career in this business, the United States of America, in terms of the furniture category, just standard furniture category, has gone from made in America to nothing made in America. So a company like Styx or some sole woodworker mm -hmm. like you, mm -hmm. I don't know your business, but I know you're trying to get one. Right. We're, we're one of a few. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and so first, you take the 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 absolute decimation of the American furniture industry out of the southeast part of the United States, which is tragic. Mm -hmm. And then on top of it, you take the almost total destruction of the American craft industry, ranging from jewelers to ceramic artists to glass whatever is being made offshore and if you are a discerning american and you really want to support made in america you gotta look far and wide and you gotta pay for it because we can't survive on offshore pricing we just right. cannot and the other problem that we have is being able to stop anything being made overseas because it's nearly impossible for us to sell overseas. A jeweler or a sticks, we would have to send 16 containers to get into a foreign country in order to be able to afford the tariffs and everything else. So the, so the, the cost of what we, we make is be in part because of our niche. Mm -hmm. And along the way, anyone in this industry, whether it be art or American craft, had to accept that. Mm -hmm. This has happened. Stop fighting about it and figure out a way to make your, <laughs> make your stuff. Right. So you can do all the things that Rachel and the team currently at Sticks want to be able to do going forward. Right. So. So my first real introduction to sticks was actually at um methodist hospital mm -hmm. here yeah. yeah um because oh gosh it's been almost six years ago now my uh mom was there for quite some time she had suffered a stroke so she was there so we were there all the time and going through and i thought what what is this like whimsical type you know decor down here 
and, and somebody had told me that it was sticks, and so then I went down the rabbit hole of like chasing you guys down on the internet and finding out all I could about you. Um, but I like the whimsical feel to it, so I have to ask, I mean, was any of that driven? I mean, you said as you were, I mean, you were starting this business and you had three young children. Did that play into it at all, this feel? This the kids? No. 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 But the fact that there are some certain things about who I am as a person, um, I love home and family, mm -hmm. which then includes my kids. I am a person of faith. Um, I wanted to give all that to the children. And you're talking about in the environment of Blank Children's Hospital. Oh, no, I'm talking about me and my life and what made Sticks art form happen. I said earlier, I, I love architecture, interior design, mm -hmm. engineering, all of that. So the structural part of this, mm -hmm. easy to figure out. The content part of this, take me all the way back to growing up basically on the Iowa State University campus with the doors flung open in every department whether it be horticulture or the glass blowing or the metals department or the home ec department or whatever. I love the story of the world. Mm -hmm. I love history. In 10 years of college, I was required as electives to take art history, general history, world history, civilization, Western Civ, religion. I love all those things. So for me, while your response to it is to see whimsy, which is basically based in my love of folk art, which t includes everything from shaker furniture mm -hmm. to quilts to the look of, of a Swedish painting, mm -hmm. design, whatever. All of that merges together, but the thing that makes sticks different than just whimsy is the storytelling. I love stories and that comes from this love of history and family and generations of mm -hmm. foundation. So initial reaction is whimsy but I think the longer one would stand in front of the messages mm -hmm. at blank or stand in front of any piece of sticks, it's deeper. Mm -hmm. It's deeper than that. I have a friend who a, was a school principal at the time, became a superintendent, always would go to blank to see his, any student that was there, and with tears in his eyes, stopped in after he had been there to tell me that he knew this little person was not going to make it. And when he went in, he, he, was, he was looking down and his heart was heavy and everything he saw that Sticks made was at the children's level and it was breaking his heart and he didn't know how he was gonna get through this. Well, when he left, he said, I came out and I don't know why, but I looked up and all of this message way high was for me as a grown-up. Mm -hmm. um, that's more than whimsy. Mm -hmm. And he said, it got me out of my head and able to cope before I left the building. So whether we're, whether we're doing a custom piece for you and your family and the history of your family, 
um, or we're doing something for a children's hospital or a restaurant or Christmas ornaments. There's, there's something a little deeper in the messaging than just what you get in an instant of mm -hmm. glance. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So, <clears throat> how did, did you, Sarah, and you now, Rachel, <laughs> manage the hectic life of artisan, manufacturer, CEO, marketer, <laughs> while also, um, you know, bringing up a family, because family I, life is hectic on its yeah. own. I think it's important for anybody listening to us talk about our, our story to also keep in mind that we have a big, lovely studio with a great team of people, but this is still a small business at its core. We are not, <laughs> we are not the most, you know, glamorous American We're not business. the business where, where they're saying we don't pay taxes. We're yeah, no, yeah. no. <laughs> yeah. So it is, I mean, we, we are a small business and, and we wouldn't be true to our roots if we were anything else. And at least I don't have aspirations of us, you know being bigger than our bridges, I think it would diminish what it is that we make. We want to make amazing, beautiful, heirloom quality American craft. We want to do it well. We'd always love to sell more, um, but yeah, I, I don't want to have sticks box stores in every subdivision in right. American suburbs. <laughs> That's not what we're going for and what we're trying to do. So because we are a small business, we have a different set of rules that we can operate with. Nobody here comes walking in the door in high heels and pantyhose. And if you did, we'd laugh you out the building and send you home. <laughs> this is the kind of place where whether you're in the office or on the production floor, you can wear your blue jeans. And that's, that's really cool. So I think it starts with culture. Um, you know, the, this place has been around for long enough that the culture is pretty well established. Um, and that is, there's a yin and a yang to that. We're here to get work done. We're here to get product out the door. We're here to meet our deadlines and our obligations and have happy and quality customers. And to do that, we have to have a certain set of rules. Um, but there also is give and take in that. Um, and so, like I, you know, I, I was saying earlier, we have staff, we have employees here who've been with us for 20 plus years who started when they were young before they started families and then they started families and some of them stayed home for a year or two some of them came back part-time some of them waited till their kids were in school full-time and then they went full-time and one of the things that we recognized was that long-term talent was going to make our product consistent and it was going to honor the contribution of those artists to what we make and so to be in a flexible position you know, not overnight, obviously, but to have those conversations with people and say, we sticks can be part of your career path and your life. Uh, we can react to your life choices. You just have to bring us to the table um, what you can give and what you can't. And and I ha I can't think of very many many situations where we weren't able to make it work. Um, I have three small children, and I'm, I'm blessed. Um, with with a partner who is a huge contributor to that, although he works very much full-time as well. Um, but, you know, it's not uncommon to come in here on a Friday afternoon and see my three kids in the conference room, um, you know, with a bag of chips and some pop out of the vending machine <laughs> and a Disney movie on my laptop. And I don't try and do it all the time, but there are certainly situations that come up. And I think that it's critical for those kids to also see me in the role that I'm in when I'm here. 
um, because no matter how we want, how much we want to say that women have gotten close to that glass ceiling, we haven't really cracked it yet. And for them to see that in action means I don't have to sit around at home and drill it into their heads. They know that that's that that's what a mom can be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew that that's what a mom can be because that's what I was watching. And she never sat at home and you know yelled about feminism at the dinner right. table. Although all that's fine and great. She just did it through action, mm-hmm. um, and I, I can't think of a better way to um, have all the parts of your life incorporated. In my world, there's not a home, and there's not a work, Rachel. Um, I am all things at all the time, and I probably don't perform at the <laughs> highest possible level. I give myself an average C, C plus in all aspects of life, um, but if I were to do you know a plus work on being a parent this place would suffer and if i were going to be you know an a plus boss my kids wouldn't have what they need from me so it's Mm -hmm. i guess it's being comfortable spreading yourself to the point where you can fill all the wells in your life well i'm in a totally different generation than you two (laughs) we got mid what are you, 20s? No. Let's say you and Rachel are in your 30s. Yes. Uh, all right, well, I'm, I'm 65, so I'm a good 30 years ahead of you gals. And your question was, how do you stay a mom and have a family and a marriage and a business and all of this? Well, let me tell you, probably... Oh, every time I talk about this, I want to cry, but um, many, many, many women in my generation who did what I have done on their own without the umbrella of some other entity employing you wound up divorced, as did I, wound up for periods of time with very angry children um, wound up with distance from other female friends, wound up um, being taken advantage of by communities and society and politics as being held up like this, some sort of woman of nirvana who's <laughs> made it all without really wanting to know what the realities were. Mm-hmm. Um, the biggest regrets in my life are and have been caused by my drive and my allowance of myself being sucked down into this rabbit hole. Um, and it's over and done with. There's nothing I can do about that except be happy that now, after all of that, I have three happy children who have lovely spouses, who have um, beautiful children. I have a wonderful husband now and many, many friends who do not just say, oh, this is my friend Sarah, the sticks lady. <laughs> I have lived a thousand years of that. And every time someone says, oh, here's the sticks lady. I mean, whether it's in groups of people that I have known forever, I just want to say, you guys, no, I'm me. I'm just me. And if whatever has happened to me 
as a businesswoman in the last 30 years, please, I don't want your generation to be having that happen to you. Glass ceilings are not that important. Life is short and um, shorter than you think when you get to be 65. So, um, because I'm just like everybody else. I'm just trying to have a job I like and make some money and in some small way impact the world. And that's it, mm -hmm. that's it. I mean, everyone's first question is, do any of your three daughters have your artistic talent? And my response is, you know what? I raised three creative daughters to find those very things I just mentioned in their own lives and their own careers. I never, ever, ever tried to influence anybody to become an artist. Well, I, I can chime in on that <laughs> and actually say that I, I think that all three of us could have been. I think that you went so far in the other direction and discouraging us from doing that um, that none of us did, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. that, that is totally okay. Um, but I think that you had a, an idea of what that looked like that you didn't want for us. Um, and so, you know, now in a, in a, as a female business um, manager, I guess you would call me, when I get asked to speak to young groups of women that are either, you know, thinking about going to art or wherever they're going into, what, what I say is it doesn't matter if you decide to go into art or if you decide to be a nurse it doesn't, or a, or a you know, teacher, or whatever it is that you decide to go into, um, have some ability to add to your education a component of management or basic business or marketing at the very least, some communications. <laughs> Which my generation didn't get in. Because for God's sakes, whatever position you're in, you are there to promote yourself and market yourself and grow yourself as your own um, set of skills and talents So where were you when I was going to college? Oh, my God. <laughs> I know, but it's crazy because you would think that after colleges and universities have looked at the, uh, the surge of women in the last 30 years opening different kinds of businesses right. from tech, I mean, women in technology. I mean, that, that is such a growing, amazing, and that's a very creative um, field if you really want to be successful. Having a component of just knowing the basics. I mean, for God's sake, every woman out there, and man for that, yeah. teach us how to read a financial statement before we show up on day one at the job, right. you know? Well, it's critical, and I think that's why she pushed us away from being artists, because I don't think in my mom's mind back in the 90s when I was getting ready to go to college, um, that she thought if we went and got a degree in the creative arts, that anybody would give us those set of skills. And I... I but I think that's fair, because you didn't get any business classes. Yeah. Well, here's the deal. In the 70s, 80s, and even at the beginning of the 90s, I know at least at the University of Iowa, if you wanted to cross the river as a grad student and go into the business school and just get the basics of finance, the door was locked. You were not, it was not allowed. Yeah, it's only recent, and I only know this because I was uh, researching it for myself, that now they have a certificate program that's uh, a, a master's in uh, art 
with the entrepreneurial kind of yeah. tack on to it so you can so that you can't yeah, but isn't that, yeah. isn't that and so, marketing courses isn't that so cool though that yeah. we get to be part of witnessing that and um, can you think of these people these women and, and men for that matter they're going to come out of these disciplines and come and work for places like this or come and work for you or with you katie that i think that's really really exciting so mm-hmm. you know with my kids it's it you know they have all different myriads of skills and and it's actually interesting because two of them are are pretty incredible little tiny artist people and could easily do what my mom has done it's in the jeans um (laughs) but you know it would it would always be a priority of mine as a parent to say to them pursue whatever your dream is but always be combining that with a plan for how to make it work right now, I've been asked to talk at entrepreneurial programs all over the place. I have almost, I, I can't even think of one time I've been asked to talk to an art department for some reason. I don't understand. They want me at the entrepreneurial <laughs> convention or come to the class in the business department about small businesses. I'm, I get these invitations, and so I have a mixed audience. Some of them are business majors just trying to find out what entrepreneurialism is. Some of them are thinking they're entrepreneurs or they're artists or they're writers or Mm -hmm. film or whatever they're doing. They want to start a business making uh, paper clips. I don't know. It doesn't necessarily have to be art. But I I always say, okay, it's going to be easy for you to learn how to sign or read financials. It's going to be easy for you to learn how to negotiate with a banker figure out where your facility should be, who you're going to sell to, who's your audience. But I'll tell you what the hardest thing is. You better darn well have something somebody wants. Because if you don't, if your idea is not at the core what you're going to produce good, you might as well get out of here right now. So you, everyone in this room at some point has to face whether or not their product is good. Now, I've been lucky, both in painting and in sticks. I guess I have a good product. But I have had friends through the years who are like, I'm just going to teach. And that's fine. That's fine. Because they recognize that, A, they either didn't like making stuff, or B, they didn't they didn't have an idea of what to make. And that that's a kind of a harsh reality, but one that I think the entrepreneurial schools must address with students who think it's this you know sexy thing to go start a business it, you got to be really good and you got to know what you're making is and good. you have to be willing to put in about 20 hours a day yes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly and there are you know believe me the last segment we were chatting about people say every day you know what i don't want to work 20 hours a day money doesn't matter fame doesn't matter i don't want to do this anymore Mm-hmm. And they move on and are perfectly happy and lovely people. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that being able to work the number of hours that you have to work has, has gotten a lot easier in the last few years. I mean, the fact that we can do it all from our little mobile devices is, is amazing. And, you know, I always think it's interesting that my staff get emails from me at 11 o'clock at night, 1 in the morning. It, it's, it's not uncommon. I think you just have to be willing to be really tired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but let's not. I, I always say that, you know, so I 
got serious about being a maker and turning this into a business after my second was born. And I said, but I think that prepared me. Mm-hmm. Because oh, yeah. I'm already used to getting no yes. sleep whatsoever. <laughs> I'm just changing the focus of what I'm doing in those sleepless yeah, hours. To be, right? Yeah, and to be able to, to, to pivot 180 degrees in a split second, I think yeah. is, like I, last night I put my head down on my pillow and I realized that, you know, I, I'd been out the door with three kids at 7 a.m. I'd been at work for eight and a half, nine hours. I'd been to a PTA meeting in the <laughs> middle of that. I cooked dinner with my mom for 60 kids at church, gotten home, bathed them, walked a brand new puppy, <laughs> somehow managed to get one episode of Game of Thrones. And, I that and I'm like, why am I so tired? My husband's like, really? <laughs> oh, you forgot about the puppy ingesting a sock. Yeah, the puppy ate a sock. I mean, this is all that run in between. <laughs> yeah, but... You know, it, it would be easy for somebody to, to say to me, you took all this on. I, but, I, yeah, I did. Because that's what I did. But it's not, to me, it's not a matter of uh, complaining. No, I'm not right? complaining exactly. about it at all. Exactly. My life is totally full. Yeah. And my life is totally full. And, um, yeah, it, and it would be a lot harder to do what I did yesterday if I'd spent the whole day, you know, entering data into a spreadsheet and hitting, you know, shift, alt, delete, return over and over again, <laughs> my brain gets to switch yep. from this to that and this to that. And that's fun. So yeah, that was the really go, go fun part of, of working. I know that I matter to this place, but they don't need me anymore. They just don't. Well, I think, and I had to accept that, <laughs> I, but I think that also stemmed from finding our stride as a brand because at you know if if you have a mirror like i said at the very beginning it has to be drawn and you have a certain right. number of minutes when which it needs right. to be drawn i can guarantee you that our production director does not want her drawn natural evolution right. of the product that's where it had to go to be what it is okay but now, that's the change from I don't know if you'll like it or me to say this or not but that's the change from maybe artisan to company yeah it right? is it's it's it the, is but if, if the foundation of me jamming and cramming and inventing <laughs> something new every 10 seconds hadn't gone on for the years right. that yes. I was the creator we wouldn't be here. Right. Because we would just be another ho-hum. Another ho-hum flash in the pan. Yeah. It was that deepness that got people, and it, it was my being able to say to the other creators in this place, I know you now have parameters, but you got to use your mojo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Use, I mean, that mojo, that's the secret sauce. That's the secret sauce. I mean, I, but I also think that it's important to tell the people listening to this that um, they might not want to be this, and that no. is okay. Yeah. And we are so fortunate that in our store here in Des Moines, we're able to show the work of so many artists. Katie's had her work in our store as well. Um, and some of those artists are 10 times bigger than we are, and some of them are, you know, making, you know, things on their four hours of free Saturday afternoon time. And the gamut is represented. It doesn't make one better than the other. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about where you want it to go. And not everybody sh- should try and be what this is. Right. No, absolutely. 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 You know, I think the thing that um, is also a blessing 
that my girls and certainly my, the, the closest employees to me um, did for me by asking me to give it up. I mean, I still sign financials and worry about it every night, but mm -hmm. give it up here on a daily basis is that that painting career I've talked about, besides mom of three daughters, owner of sticks, I had my side job, which was my paintings mm -hmm. and representation by a gallery. And I gotta tell you, the older I got, the harder it was to come to work every day and paint all night long. You, you, right. Age is gonna yeah. hit you guys. Yeah. <laughs> and age is harder than having three small children and youthful energy and two careers. It's a lot harder to be older and not have all that constant pressure. Keep it going, keep it going, keep, I mean, at some point when you don't have the kids and you're looking at your studio door, you're going, you know, I'm sort of sick of this. I'm sick of it. And so when I retired, I got this opportunity to look at that painting career and be recognizing that very successful career. Did I want to keep it? If I couldn't keep it the way I'd been doing it, did I just want to quit and go kayak the rest of my life? I mean, all these questions. I elected to stop one representation relationship and move to another and that career because of the peace I have found in my own management of my own time is skyrocketing. So if you're talking about retired mom, grandma, whatever, my husband can say, I'm retired. <laughs> I can't say I'm retired. I went from one career to the next. And I think there are a lot of entrepreneurial people who do that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my, my girlfriends are all like, where are you and Mark going to go this winter for a month or two? And I'm like, I can't do that. How would I paint? <laughs> so everybody finds their journey through being a businesswoman and a mother and a family member and a wife and whatever else you are um, in their own way. But for me, I'm still going. I'm still going. So I have one last question for you guys. Is there another maker mom or I'll even expand it to a businesswoman who you, you really have admired that's had a big influence? Mm. Goodness. I mean, I think that there are, you know, in there are, you know, the big ones that stand out, you know, that would be similar industry that, you know, the Martha Stewart's, the Oprah's. But I think that the people that keep me going every day are my friends who are mothers and business people and producers and teachers and policemen, all of those things. I think it, for me it's just watching my other moms, you know, passing in the carpool lane with one curler still behind yeah. her up here, you know, <laughs> yeah. looking at me like, I'm not crazy either, <laughs> you know. I, those are the, it's yeah. it's not the, I mean, you know, it's not the ones with the magazines and, you know, the, it, it's the ones on the ground doing it every day that I think are the ones that I'm like, if she can do it, I can do it. Mm -hmm. My generation, if I had been in another industry, I probably could have ticked off 10 of them. But because of my industry, and because it is in Iowa, mm -hmm. I can't name a woman, 
who has a manufacturing facility. And I can't name a woman artist who has done anything similar mm -hmm. to what I've done within my own world. Now, I could tell you who some of them are from American craft uh, uh, trade shows, but there's just too much, there's too much uh, jealousy there all around that you just don't, I just chose not to be friends with people in my industry on that level. I became friends and was very respectful of the hundred and some accounts that sell sticks, many of which were husband, wife, or female-owned galleries all across the country and still mm -hmm. are, and I'm very respectful of, of their business and what they did to make those businesses. So locally, the females that I look up to would be um, somebody like a Therese Wheelogy who started Spindustry and wound up selling that business and now works for a company called Merchant Bonding in a position as their marketer communications director in a pretty much all male industry, which is the surety bonding industry. Um, I don't know anything about what Therese does. I just know that when she talks to me, she's done the same sort of thing that I did. Mm -hmm. And then there's my friend Connie Weimer, who anybody in Des Moines, Iowa, or the state of Iowa knows who she is, who started her own abstract company. Well, that isn't anywhere near my industry. Um, through my husband, who is a bonding agent for construction, I have met women who own construction companies, or who manage construction companies, or who they're who are, or are on their boards, or are financial uh, guys, or lawyers, financial advisors, women, in those, I had to go out of my industry to find it. Okay. And I got to tell you, at first I was like, oh boy, I want to be Martha Stewart. Never <laughs> really wanted to be a talk show host like Oprah, but um, that lasted all of about a week. <laughs> I mean, because you're just setting yourself up to fall down, if that's your role goal. model yeah. and your goal. No, your goal should be, here I am right now, these are the people around me I recognize, and if something is gained from them and I become a Martha Stewart, awesome. <laughs> but don't use her as your role model. Mm -hmm. So, Well, thank you guys, and I will uh, include sticks links in the show notes so people can go look at you, people outside of Iowa who listen who might not know as well. Katie, thank you so much for having us. This was yeah. super, super fun. Again, that was Sarah and Rachel of Sticks Inc. in Des Moines, Iowa. And this interview truly was such a pleasure for me to do. I mean, from getting to talk with just two amazing women, two amazing women in industry, uh, you know, one who started the company. Uh, one who is continuing to kind of carry the torch of the company and uh, grow it into the future. That was just amazing. Um, plus, it was amazing, too, to get to talk to this mother and daughter team that, you know, has not happened on the show yet either. Um, and afterwards, after the interview, I got to have a tour of the facility. So some of the um, 
kind of background noise you hear in the interview is because I was there on site at the stick studio uh, where they're making product and so you know in a kind of manufacturing type of setting you're gonna overhear some of those noises uh, going on you were hearing some of the sanding going on and stuff in the background um, but it was just absolutely amazing to get to talk with the these two women and um, help you know, maybe give some insight behind sticks to those of you who are listening from Iowa. Maybe you didn't know some of the history behind it. So I think that was also really fun uh, to get to learn about that. Um, so I'm super excited. Uh, lots of great guests coming up to in the next few weeks. Um, and as always, you can find Maker mom podcast pretty much everywhere but make sure that you're following along on instagram for sure and that's just at maker mom podcast so follow along that's pretty much where i share all of the you know what's coming up and what's going on and and all of that good stuff so make sure you're following along on instagram and until next week i will see you later Thank you for listening to the Maker Mom podcast. You can connect with the Maker Mom community in the Facebook group page, Maker Moms. And remember, if you enjoyed listening to this episode, please subscribe, leave an awesome review, and share this out with other Maker Moms you know.